Hello everybody, welcome to The Truth Hurts. Today we're gonna to be talking about Seattle and what has happened in the Chaz Zone. Another precinct has been taken over and the seven block um, area has been kind of, not boarded off, but kind of guarded by protesters, some armed, and they have declared it a space for the people. They're playing documentaries, giving out free food and saying police are not involved. President Trump has declared this, these people domestic terrorists as he refuses to listen to the outcries of people. So I thought this would be a good opportunity, right, to give as many stories as I can in, let's say, 10, 15 minutes about um, uh, a positive black man's experience with police and just with quote-unquote criminals. Because I know a big worry that some people have that and, and, and a lot of these people don't agree with police brutality, but they're also very, very, very worried of the absence of this aggressive, strong police force because of the criminal element. And I understand that. But I just want to give a couple of examples first, and then we can talk about that, and we move on. So for me, I was raised in New York City in an urban environment. I had good parents. Had a, I lived on a, in a nice, decent area, like three, four uh, block radius. But out. On the outskirts of that, it got worse. So it was a, a pretty much a ghetto outside of my little area. So when you're that close, uh, in that proximity, you have to, you know, you have to blend in. So I saw those elements. So now, and let's just take my first 21, 22 years in that environment till I was able to get my play and do different things. So just from let's say 16 to, matter of fact, we're gonna do 10 years because I, I was there to about 28. We're gonna do 16 to 26, a very important age for, for young men, especially black men. So in that time frame, I can probably count on my hand the amount of incidents that I had with locals in terms of like some sort of criminal element, somebody trying to mess with me, maybe two, maybe two, maybe two situations, argument here, there, had a guy, he was, um, he, it was some strippers that had been threatened and he, I was in front of a store um, talking to my friend when he came back and he thought the girls told him the people were there. So the guy kind of flashed the gun. That was one thing that happened to me. And we talked that out. There was no situation. He wasn't going to shoot me or nothing, I don't think. But the bottom line is some strippers were disrespected. The guy came back, thought it was us, whatever. Um, and maybe another incident, argument or something like that. But for the, for the most part, uh, other than like two or three incidents over that 10-year uh, span, I didn't have any problems. And... Like anything, anything can happen. Like you can be robbed anywhere, you can be shot, you can be, uh, anything can happen anywhere, but obviously in certain places it's higher chances. So I was in these neighborhoods, but when I compare the amount of time I spent in these neighborhoods and then also traveling, my friends were from the Bronx and uh, Brooklyn, all these places, you learn how to move very quickly. By 18, 19, you know how to move. And from, especially from that age, I didn't have any real, any real trouble, especially after 20. After 20, I didn't really have any trouble with anybody in the community. Uh, or street people. So let's take that. Let's take three incidents. Let's just give it three because I may be forgetting something. Three incidents in 10 years versus I probably was interacting with police uh, illegally over 40 times. <laughs> so I want you to absorb that. I had three interactions with these so-called criminals. Now mind you, you got Bloods, Crips, Nietas, Latin Kings, every gang, every all this stuff. GDs, BDs, all this kind of gang stuff. I managed to avoid the GDs, I managed to avoid the BDs, the Vatos, I, I managed to avoid all the gang members, I managed to avoid all the criminals, 
but the one set of people I couldn't seem to get away from. And while I'm living my life, right, always working a job, driving my car, doing positive things, you know, whatever. I, I had 40 encounters with police. So for me, as a positive black man, this is why I had the anger towards police. I'm like, God, I mean, you're telling me that these people are my problem. But these criminals, for the most part, stay in their cr criminal element. You guys keep engaging people like me. And then even when you engage me and I tell you who I am, you don't believe me. You, you, you ask me about drugs and guns. I don't like, you know, I, you, when, I, when I was a, um, uh, a manager, you would, you would ask me about that. When I was in finance, you would ask me about that when I was an engineer. No matter what I did, I told you what I did. You didn't believe me. You asked me about insulting things. So for me, and I know a lot of other men, if you grew up in these type of areas or even had to pass through or whatever, your, the ratio of amount of interactions you have with criminals versus police are probably very disproportionate. So now, you might say, all right, it's a dangerous area. That's why police are engaging you. But here's the problem. Not only did they engage, they attempted to hurt me numerous times. And I'm going to give a few uh, examples of that. So one quick story. I'm on the Triborough Bridge. I had a big suburban truck with nice shiny rims. I was 26 years old, 27 years old. And uh, at that time, I think I was still working as a manager. Long story short, as I'm going on the bridge, there was a, um, I guess, Port Authority cop in front of me. And he was going like really slow, like 15 miles an hour. I didn't know if something was, was wrong with his car. So I went around him. I went around him and I started to drive up. I didn't speed, obviously, because I know the cop is right here, but I started to drive up and I drove past him. The guy starts speeding, right, um, as I'm halfway on the bridge and then puts his lights on for me. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, I just passed you. What do you mean? Like, why is he pulling me over? Uh, I go, at first I didn't think he was even pulling me over. So I keep going. And as I get off the bridge, I realize he he's, 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 uh, has his lights on for me and I stop. And he comes to the car and he's like, you know, he's just on some bullshit. He's just angry. He's just his ego. His ego because he just sees this black guy in this nice car. And, you know, I wasn't scared of him. That's what it boiled down to. I didn't, I was supposed to just sit behind him. He was, he had no reason. He just wanted to be an asshole. And that's probably how he starts trouble. Long story short, he tries to uh, write, he writes me a ticket, whatever, um, and writes up the report, uh, uh, that I tried to get away from him. So he, he writes this up as if, for my traffic thing, as if I tried to escape the police. And because I remember the statement when I had the guy look at it, my lawyer, who said, uh, he said, the re he said I said that I tried to get away because I thought that thing was done. I'm like, what the fuck? He just, in his, just, just created a whole fucking scenario that I was running from police. And it's like, yo, what kind of fucking devil are you? What kind of fucking devil are you? Now this is policing. I'm talking about policing authority. Now, this type of Port Authority police, all these people, just their egos are so fucking fragile that they try to hurt you. I'll give you another one. I go, and this is a black lady. I go on the bridge, right? Same thing. And that's why I tell brothers, be careful at, at, at checkpoint. Anywhere where uh, you have to stop, that's where they look to engage you. So I'm, I'm up there, and uh, I hand the lady, I think it was $20 or $10, whatever, for the toll. As I hand it with the left hand, I, I grab my phone from the right um, uh, seat. It was on the passenger seat. I grab it and I put it in my lap. She looks at me and says, you can't be on your phone. <laughs> like, I'm not even on my phone. I said, miss, I'm not even on my phone. Give me my change. And she says, no, you got, give me your, let me see your license and register. 
I said, miss. I said, no, no, no. You, I said, I'm not on my phone. I can grab my phone and put it on my lap. Give me my change. She tells me, <laughs> give me your license. I said, no. I said, miss. Look, it, as, now a line is starting to build up. Maybe uh, first five, 10, 20. I said, miss, you're, I said, you're an asshole. <laughs> I said, are you really going to let your ego hold up all of these people? I'm not showing you my, you don't have the right to just uh, make up a charge I, uh, that I'm on my phone and uh, demand that I give you my license. I said, no, call your supervisor, call the supervisor. And now mind you, at that time, this is maybe, this is just maybe five, 10 years ago. Um, one of the, uh, if you guys haven't listened to my other podcast, for about two years, I got really lucky when the Uber thing was going and I had a corporate contract for a car service, a luxury car service. I had three nice cars, Mercedes, stuff like that. And I got in with just this kind of startup who was like blowing money. So I was in like a serious situation. It was car service, but this was like $250,000 type of year car service. So this was a serious life thing I had. And at that time, I was going to LaGuardia Airport to get the CEO of the company in the Mercedes. and. I literally had to be there in like 15 minutes. I said, miss, I have to pick up the CEO. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm not going for this. You're gonna have to, you're gonna have to uh, figure something out. I'm not sitting here for you to fucking harass me. So the, the, uh, uh, the cop comes and I, I tell him exactly what happened. I said, miss, I gave him my, my money. I put my, I grabbed my phone from here to put it in my lap. And she said, get off my phone. I said, I'm not on my phone. I can't even see my records. I'm not even on the phone. And he kind of knew maybe that she was a, uh, whatever and he was like yeah bro but you got to kind of listen you know he's telling me you can't just deny what she's saying and i'm like all right so i give him my license i pull over he says pull over there and then i just pulled off i'm not gonna lie to you because i said these people are not gonna fucking ruin my life like i'm not gonna ruin my two hundred and fifty thousand dollar opportunity because of some insecure piece of shit they mailed me the ticket that was that another time i was in the neighborhood this is younger uh i come out of a store detectives uh I see them sitting behind my truck as I come out of a store. I get inside the truck, I start driving, and they immediately start following me. They pull me over 20 blocks down, and the first thing he does uh, when he comes to the car is I roll down the window and say, how you doing, officer? What seems to be the problem today? That's what I always say. And he says, do you mind stepping outside the car? And I was like, uh, actually, I do mind stepping outside of the car, but here's my license and registration. If there's a problem forward, I don't have a problem stepping outside the car. And he tells me to relax. <laughs> Absorb that, listeners. Police officer illegally profiles me. I get inside my vehicle as a working man. I'm followed and harassed, pulled over illegally. I'm respectful. I tell the officer, what seems to be the problem today? He tells me, not for my license and registration, he tells me to get outside of my vehicle without any reasonable suspicion or probable cause. I tell him in so many words that I'm, I know, first of all, my sister's a lawyer. I know the law. <laughs> I'm not scared of you. And you're going to follow the civil process in this interaction. I'm not for your abuse. I know my rights. That's what all I said to him in a respectful manner. Like, you know, I do have a problem just getting outside my car, but here's my license and registration for whatever you say you're pulling me over for. And you can do what you do. If there's a problem, you can explain that problem and I'll get outside the car. But you're not going to just ask me to get outside my car for without no reasonable suspicion or probable cause. And I was honestly not doing anything. So at this point, he tells me to relax. That's the moment. At that moment, he's telling you to relax because it's an illogical, uh, uh, escalating type of response to what I said. I'm basically saying, I'm not, I'm good. we're gonna follow the civil uh, code here. You're saying, I'm, I'm determined to abuse you. So now at that moment, there's not much I can do because 
he's gonna reach inside the car with him and slap his hand not to take my keys. These people are, are brutes and they'll just murder you. So I end up getting out the car and I just, you know, me, I always go raw on them and just viciously rip into their spirit of just how fucked up they are and, and just what pieces of shit they are. Um, but that was that. Another time I'm in a car with my friend who's in the army. <laughs> So much in army, a cop, two, three cops roll up on us. I'm in a, a and now mind you, all the time I'm in my nice car. This time I'm in a BMW X5. I was in a the S550. So the, the key thing here for me has always been I know I I always have nice cars, and it just always brings this kind of it's, they don't just assume that I am who I am, which I'm now a programmer, right, a software developer, a podcaster, right. I was before I was a manager, and you know so. These cops pull up and they say, hey, you can't park here at the hydrant. I was about to go to the store. I said, okay. I started getting my stuff together. He said, throw me your keys. And I'm like, throw me your keys. I said, you, I said, who are you? Throw me your keys. I didn't even know, who, like, like you, you showed me some identification at your police. When I say that, they all hop out the car, get out with guns. I've told this story a hundred times on this podcast, but it's very relevant to what I'm saying. That's what I'm trying to get out really quickly. They get out the car, uh, pointing guns. The dude is standing there, right, over me. And I have my keys and my 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 license in my hand and he's shaking with the gun literally his fucking hand is shaking with the gun and i'm like what the fuck he's shaking with the, i said yo he said give me your shit i said what shit are you talking about you want my keys or my wallet he said the wallet and i give him the wallet and i just start going in long story short right after that i go to the precinct i file a ccrb report and i get all those officers to apologize to me and subsequently had them waving to me while i was rolling through my neighborhood for the next two years the point is I could go on and on. I was stopped one time. I, when I bought the X5, I had my temporary plates. When I came back, I was on 116th Street. Uh, I think this is a Hispanic cop. Uh, cop pulls me over and come and pulls me over no reason and says, "Hey," I said, "What seems to be the problem, today, officer?" Oh, we have a lot of people in the neighborhood. They were they were taking uh, fake uh, what you call it, fake uh, temporary plates and on putting them on stolen vehicles. What the, in my mind, what the fuck does that have to do with me? <laughs> you just assume you see a black man in an X5 with temporary plates that I did this. You created this whole elaborate crime for me and just put me in that space. And I have to live within your paradigm. How about this one? A punk ass fucker, the same punk ass fucker who's connected to the Tessa Majors case. I'm not even going to call out his name because he doesn't even deserve any, um, any promotion. Went to high school. Now, I'm not going to say I was the man, but in high school, I was with the people. That were the protectors. We were the people that you couldn't get bullied with us. And if somebody was bullying you, we'd kick their ass. So we were the protectors. This guy was not a protector, even though he was on the football team. Long story short, I'm driving uh, in, I think I was in Harlem. I'm coming up Lenox Avenue and they're coming down. I'm just in my, my nice truck. I see them look and they just bust a U-turn and they follow me down the block. Ask me to get out the car, all that. He starts uh, roughing me up a little bit. Not roughing, but like kind of getting, and I'm, as he's doing it, I kind of put my flex, I'm very strong. So I put my flex on like, bro, what's going on? So I start turning around. And as I'm looking at him, I'm like, I'm, I'm like, I'm like, Wilfredo? <laughs> now you know his name, right? I'm like, he's like, big old. I'm like, wow, these cowards. I'm like, bro, what's up? Now mind you, he's a Hispanic guy, but in his mind, he sees a black guy car, so that's what he does. He profiles people based off this. He apologizes, whatever. But at the end of the day, bro, you, you, you apologize because you knew me. If you didn't know me, this is what you do. He was with a white guy. They both apologize, whatever. But this is what you do. If you don't, if, if I didn't know you, you would harass black people, man, just for having things. And I could tell you story after story after story. One time I'm coming uh, not too far away. 
is a captain and uh, uh, like uh, I guess a new cop. They pull me over, and I did have tents on my Mercedes um, because at that time I was doing the car service with it. So I, I needed the limo tents. This is for like the privacy of the people, but whatever. That is a, a ticket, whatever. So at that time, I think I had, um, oh, yeah, I had the Mercedes S550. I'm making a turn and I see the white cop, the captain. He looks like, with that look I've seen, like, oh my God, what the fuck is this? <laughs> they bust the U-turn, they come, they pull me over, and they say, oh, my tinted window. And I say, when the cop comes to me, the, the rookie cop, I tell him that, you know, I have a restricted license now, right? And I'm not supposed to have any, uh, and, this, and it's so funny, that restricted license came from that situation on the bridge. It's so, all these things are connected. This is how they keep you under this bullshit. Um, and I said, you know, could you give me a break? I, I have this because of my car service. Um, and long story short, um, the guy looked like he didn't want to do it. The white cop, the captain is standing in his hand, is like on his gun, he looked like he wants to kill me. I'm like, this shit is just so crazy. Two couples walk by and they're like, the guy sees me in a big body Benz. He's like, what are they messing with him for? And his wife was like, you know what they messing with him for. The cop comes back with the ticket. I said, bro, I told you everything. I was honest with you. Why you, I, I can't have this. They're going to take my license. And he's, oh, nothing I can do. They're making me do it. He says, you know, that. so I'm like, this is the second part where when you just become a cop, what they do is they take you into these communities and show you how to police them. They show you, even like in that situation, even though I was honest with you, even though I was a working man, an entrepreneur, a person clearly successful, you're being taught to hurt these people. Even though the cop that he's like Indian guy, I could tell he was like, nah, this is not the person I really should be fucking with. Like this guy's up the block, probably, you know, brandishing guns and doing crazy shit. This guy's clearly uh, on some sort of path, right? That probably I shouldn't jam him up, shouldn't jam him up. And I think when he went back to the car, being that he was new and the captain told him, no, there is no respect for these people. You hurt them at every time. And he made me, he got look like a fucking a sad dog when he gave me the ticket. I could go on and on and on. I can tell you about when I was the first one, when I was 16 years old, they pulled us over. We were Catholic school kids in dress shirts and ties, uh, excuse me, dress shirts and pants. And they pulled us over. We were 16. They put guns in our faces and told us we're those drug dealers from Broadway. I was like, what? I've never sold drugs or smoked drugs. I don't even know what you're talking about. They roughed us up a little bit. Thank, thank God there was an older guy who came and watched the whole situation. At the end of the day, that happened subsequently 10, 20 times in the next uh, couple of years. Just walking home, different things, coming, checking my pockets, just checking me, checking me, engaging, engaging me. Even as I got older, though, that's the thing. I got older. I was successful. I, I, not, I didn't dress different because I wanted to change my appearance. I just, you know, I became older and I liked, I liked that look. I started to dress more professional. Didn't matter. Didn't matter. So, guys, I'm not going to go on and on because really... <laughs> I'll probably run out of um, recording uh, space if I told you every single story. But like I said, there's probably 40 to 80 stories of this type of harassment. They're all illegal pullovers, illegal stops. And I had a guy one time, I have to tell you a couple more because these are so interesting, they just popped in my head. Another guy pulls me over and he says, hey, do you have PCP? And he keeps asking me, and I, I fucking cursed. I was like, yo, why are you fucking asking me about PCP? I said, I don't have any fucking PCP. Like, what the fuck is wrong with you? So just imagine just being pulled over and the guy, he's looking like he's on coke. He's like, oh my God, these people are such psychopaths and psychotic people that I, I know it for sure. And they're cowards. And that is the experience. Just a, a, a glimpse of the experience of just 
uh, a black man having to deal with this if you even even close to these environments. Now, mind you, you say, oh, just go to white neighborhoods, right? It's a different thing, but it's the same. It's almost worse because, yeah, some people leave alone if they see you, you know, whatever, whatever. But then you may have people engaging you because, all right, what are you doing here, right? How do you live here? You'll have the other type of harassment, right? But it's the same premise. It's just two different ways they think you're doing it. They just think you're a more elaborate scammer <laughs> when you're in those neighborhoods, right? You're just more sophisticated with your crime. But when they see you in the poor neighborhoods, they don't, when they saw me with cars, they didn't think this man managed the store. They didn't think this guy was a, a budding engineer, a programmer, any of the things that I was in my life. They would not, and they didn't even believe me when I told them. They thought I was a drug dealer or they presumed whatever that I was a drug dealer. If I'm in those rich neighborhoods, they presume I'm up to something. So the bottom line is the harassment for me has been way worse than the criminal element. So when people talk about defunding the police, a lot of people, that scares the hell out of you. And I understand because this, my experience is not yours. I'm a six foot five, 230 pound muscular black man and I'm dark brown skin. So at the end of the day, I am the perfect person that has to deal with this in terms of my alleged <laughs> threatening power. So for me, what's going on in Seattle honestly is very refreshing. Very refreshing to see people finally making some statements and standing up because for years I've been trying to point out that the numbers are on our side. And I know people get scared of guns and these people, but you know, there's more of us than it is of them and you need the people. So even when you have a situation like some cops, right, man in a precinct, 10 of them, they all have guns, 20, whatever. Well, if you bring a, hundreds of thousands of people, let me tell you something. There's a thing called bullets. <laughs> and bullets run out sometimes. You know, if you don't, you got to reload. And many people have been in gunfights and fights, and the same gun that you're shooting with may be used to beat you to death or put a bullet in your brain. And people know that. When you got an angry crowd, you have a gun all you want. You still know if that crowd overpowers you, it is over. They're going to stomp you to death. So it's not that you even want to go to those levels, but you have to say to yourself, at its worst, if it was like really war, what they would have to do is complete annihilation. And if you want to do that, fine, kill everybody. <laughs> I mean, whatever. But once certain things happen, it makes people more lawless because self-preservation kicks in, right? So... Why this is bad, like why it's good is because it's a statement, because here's what you want. You don't just want anarchy, you want to replace things, you want to reorganize the system. I've presented many, and many people have presented many solutions and suggestions for what should happen with these police forces. But what you can't have is this. You can't still have a young kid having to go through what I went through. It's just not, it's just not right. Like I'm not, a, I'm not into criminality. It's like, and it's fine, some people are, whatever, but I just should not have 40 interactions with police in this neighborhood. Like, because clearly, my like, if I have 40 interactive police, I should have been assaulted 10 times. I was never in, assaulted in my life. So how, you know, and I told you I only had maybe two or three incidents in my life, and I was a person I hung out a lot. If I was a, a person who didn't even hang out a lot when I was young, I probably wouldn't have had any incidents. So you can't argue me that you're there to help me and you're here to protect me. You're here to harass me and put me through your little fucking funnel law system. Clearly, that's what it always was. 
So you can't say I'm growing up in this neighborhood. I should have been terrified of the neighborhood. And even if even if I was upset with you, I should be understanding. I'm not understanding of that. Because if it's more than 20 times the, the encounters I've had with these so-called bad guys, I mean, at some point I have to say, you're the bad guys. You're the guy stopping me, telling me that I'm a drug dealer. You're the guy trying to plant drugs on me. You're the guy always talking about criminal things that have never even crossed my mind. You're the guy that's not recognizing that I'm actually one of the protectors of my community. I'm the guy that stops that little fucking ignorant guy from telling them, from, from skipping people online. Like, bro, you didn't see the line here? Get to the back of the line. I'm that guy. I'm the guy that tells the young kids, don't scream at the guy like that. I'm that guy. So you see what happens in life? And I've said this in many podcasts. The way society is structured, the lions, like myself, are caged. And the clowns can run free, just like the circus. The job attracts those people. I've said it before, I know six people who became police officers. None of them, not one of them embodied anything of a protection-based uh, individual. None of them embodied anything of somebody that would impose some sort of presence or fear. In fact, like I said, some of them were getting chased home. Some of them were robbed in their teens. I mean, it's, that's not right, but I, I'm sorry. I don't want to grow up <laughs> and be, quote unquote, protected by people who cannot protect themselves. You couldn't protect yourself, so you're probably not qualified to protect. So now you have a vest and gun, a little training. That doesn't mean you're protected. You're still going to be nervous when these situations go down because you're not built for that kind of situation. You think everybody's built to go to the army? No. That's a certain individual that can do that, can kill, see a man's head blown off, keep going. You know, that's different. I think every man is built for war. Every man is built even to be a doctor. Every man can't go in and look at guts and blood, right? I've given examples so many times. If my hand shakes, I have Parkinson's or something, but I want to be a brain surgeon, it can't happen until something is there to fix that condition. So I tell you guys these stories so you can understand. It's disproportionate. Now, everybody is not gonna agree, but I'm just telling you my life experience. So maybe my life experience is connected to the spirit of what you see going on. Maybe my life experience explains that, you know? My father had a PhD and went to Oxford. My mother had a master's degree. My sister also has a master's degree. And I'm a self-made, self-taught programmer in six languages. And I'm bullied <laughs> by, by cowards. And I'm 6'5", 240, and I know how to speak, and I look people in the eye. <laughs> what more can you do? I came from an educated family. I'm confident. I move with presence and force and, 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 and purpose. I stand up for myself respectfully, and I'm still bullied. <laughs> if people don't see something wrong with this, I don't know what else I can tell you. I mean, maybe, I don't even know who's going to be able to break it down like this to tell you so vividly of what they've experienced. And many people can't. But I hope that you guys go and listen and play this for somebody who's maybe a little ignorant to why would anybody want the police to go away, right? Because conceptually, these police are there to help you, right? Or at least to make it safe, because they are bad people. Let's be real, my neighbor too, where I came from, them bad people, the people that would shoot you, there's people that would do bad stuff. And theoretically, it would be great if the police were there for the right reason. So real quick before we go, uh, as this is happening, uh, the, uh, you know, Trump is being royally disgraced because all this is happening on his watch. 
And um, I think what's important uh, to uh, focus on is what's next. So just to throw some stuff out there for you guys, one of the simplest things that can happen with policing is, uh, is you don't have to defund them completely. So let's talk about slashing the budget in half after we create the profile. I've said this on the other police podcasts. I encourage you guys to listen to all four police podcasts that I did last year. Um, you create the profile of a good cop. You, you say, what is a good cop? You identify it, you create this profile, you say less than five complaints, right? This, 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 this. You identify who the good cops are. You identify who doesn't qualify as that, and we will pay. We will take. We will actually take the money for less, even up to five years, to pay for these people. For give, give them like a ten-year stipend or twenty-year stipend, whatever. Even for the rest of their lives, I don't care. You just have to get the fuck away from police work. Pay these people with the with the same budget. It don't even got to be redirected right away. If your budget, like New York City, I give you an example. New York City, six billion dollars. Cut that shit in half, $3 billion you can manage, and half of the, of the trash you get out. And you know what? The trash that you get out, you can use that $3 billion for the next few years to subsidize their salaries. A lot of people are going to be upset with that. I don't care. Bigger picture. Get them away from your children, man. These people are psychotic, racist, and horribly dangerous people. They need to be away from your kids. They will damage their minds like they've tried to do to mine and many other kids. So pay these people so they're gone so now you have the profile you have a slim down force and you're gonna have better interactions with people because you know what you have real cops you have the real cops can now confidently be real cops and they can come with grace because you know you have the force when you know you could do what you do when it turns up you don't have all that insecurity and ego to like impose shit they know what they're gonna do when shit gets out of hand so you have better cops better community relations the second thing you do after you create the profile cut the budgets in half and then use the other half to subsidize the people uh, that you're getting rid of, right? So whether it's for a little bit of time or for life, I don't care. Find some way to give them some money so they can get out of here. Now you want to do a reorg. Now you have good cops. Now you want to say maybe over at least over 50% or 80% of cops have to be from the city that they're from right or whatever the best locale is if it's county state whatever the best thing is but i think cities because i think about new york city like the city of new york is a different thing than the outskirts so like i think the best thing for policing smaller units with city policing like each city should have their police force right and if you're not from the city you shouldn't be able to be a police so like example in new york city after you did that you got rid of them you reorg if you went from let's say forty thousand, now you have twenty thousand good cops in New York City. Now you re, you uh, redistribute those cops, right, based off where they're from, where they live, where they were raised, whatever. Um, so the you know if you're not from the city, you can kind of send them to other places. That's where you do the like the reorganization. So like say a guy lives on Long Island, we're gonna get some guys out of the city, and you're gonna go to some Long Island force or some mirror town like you can even create mirror towns that are like have the same dynamics but this way you have people from their own communities for the most part influencing the policing of their communities because they understand the community you see me i'm from this community so i know if i go down those blocks i know who's a derelict and who's not um not always obviously but i have a better uh scanning process than like a white racist from long island like he just sees a nigger and that's all he sees like guys walking with his hat and he doesn't know just test him that's all they think just See what he got on. That's the attitude that they have towards the people. So that's just one. There's many things you can do. You have to 
create the profile, you have to defund, not all the way though. You don't have to even get rid of police completely, but you have to either do that, or if you're not gonna do something like that, then you have to just dismantle and then re-org completely from the bottom up, create new systems that make sense for the present day. Everything has changed. Why do we still have policing things from hundreds of years ago? That's crazy. Since I've been born in 1980, the whole world has changed 20 times. Come on. Like everything, the way we communicate, talk, eat, everything has changed, but we still have the same oppressive we just need to be. And like all the other things, they don't work. War on drugs. Drugs have gone up. Uh, the a whole uh, country on opioids. <laughs> you know, like the, the drugs have gone up. The war on terrorism. Terrorism never stops. None of these things work. They're just cover-ups for uh, oppressive things and theft and a bunch of other things. So guys, I'm going to wrap it up. But uh, you guys should tune in, see what's going on in Seattle. These are symbolic things. It's not that they're going to be there forever. Eventually, probably something will transition. But uh, they're doing this to make a point. They're doing this to make a point that, you know, people have had enough. We want to create fair systems now, man. We're not with this. these people. Uh, we're not with it. And I really have to push back on President Trump. I was really neutral for a while at first. But like I'm telling you, most, especially white racist people, once they're under pressure, they can't. They, you're going to see them fold. And the hate, all the stuff will come out. That's why even in this moment, he can't calm everybody down because he can't he he views folding to this or he views even acknowledging what why people are doing this as like folding to it and he has to stick to his racist agenda which is calling them what he did domestic terrorists now mind you last week a white man drove up into a protester and shot a man i think it was a black man pulled out a gun and shot somebody right and i don't even think trump mentioned it that's a pretty wild thing to do like uh, in a protest, drive your car into somebody, pull out a gun. That's classic white man terrorism. That's what I would expect from them. And he didn't even he didn't even mention that. So now you call the people that have cut off the street and taken over the police precinct and are giving people free food, and no violence has been reported. Now, mind you, why are they going to break this up? You call them domestic terrorists. They're going to break this up because these people will probably they could be there for eight months, and you'll probably see not one violent act. And that in itself would discredit all of the narrative because you'd be like, wow, these guys will actually prove and show to you that there is a natural order. Not that their life is going to be perfect, but life is not perfect now. This part of the crime is created by the society and the shit they do to certain people. That it's like it, it manufactures crime, literally. You know, and so last point I want to make is that before people talk about and throw their arms about defunding the police, just look at your state, look at your city, and check for the last 10 years, and I guarantee you. They've been defunding education, defunding youth programs, defunding everything <laughs> for the longest. So that tells you where the society is. Um, I think even this year in New York City, they had the, the initial cut was scheduled to be, um, what was it? It was scheduled to be about a 0.4% cut of police and a 30% cut in youth programs. The truth hurts. everybody thanks for listening to the podcast uh we really appreciate it here i just want to set an email address for you guys in case you want to get in contact with any comments suggestions feedback positive or negative anything that's not gross or disrespectful is more than welcomed here at the podcast because we just want to push progress and think forward that email address is tthblkpodcast at gmail.com once again tthblkpodcast 
at gmail.com. Once again, that's T-T-H-B-L-K podcast at gmail.com. Basically, it's the truth hurts, but lies kills uh, podcast, and it's just abbreviated. So the whole title of the podcast is abbreviated, uh, put into six different letters, followed by the word podcast as one long word, right? T-T-H-B-L-K podcast at gmail.com. Please get in contact. Don't hesitate. Anything you can think of, suggestions, other podcasts, anything that you feel is relevant, trust me, we will look at it, we will engage, and uh, we will push the agenda forward. Thanks a lot, guys.